Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. God has good intentions for you, and you need to be persuaded of this truth. Here's an amazing reality. Until you realize God is good, the good things that happen to you and in your life will be limited. You see, it pleases God for you to appreciate his good nature. And when you please God this way, his goodness starts to flow in you and around you. My hope is that as you listen, the eyes of your heart are opened to just how good God really is. I pray that you're persuaded of his goodness because when you are, your life is going to make a 180 degree turn. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you five steps that you can take to begin to experience God's goodness in your life almost immediately. So listen in and let God's goodness start getting you far better results than you've ever experienced before. There was a man named Smith Wigglesworth. Have you ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth before? He was in the late 1800s, but well into the early 1900s, a powerful man of God. Uh, He was a, a chimney sweeper. In, and I believe in London, and uh, God called him to begin to, to speak, to preach, and he called him to heal. <laughs> His powerful man of God, incredible stories of healing. If you read the amazing eyewitness accounts of this guy praying for people and them getting instantaneously healed. But there was a lady dying that Smith Wigglesworth went to go visit. She literally on her deathbed. They didn't give her 24 hours to live. And he went with two other men to go visit this lady and pray for her. And so he allowed the two men that were with him to pray first for her. And their prayers were, uh, were God, help this lady's husband that when she dies, that her husband would be encouraged, that the family would be strengthened. And Smith Wigglesworth was there just saying, oh, God, help this guy to stop praying. Help him, his, his faithless prayer here. So he gave opportunity for the next man to step up, pray for this lady as she was laying there in her deathbed. Same type of of prayer. God, I don't know if you can do it, but Lord, please help this lady. Comfort her, blah, blah, blah. And finally, Smith Wigglesworth, it's his turn. He gets up there close by to the bed. He starts praying for this lady. And as he's praying, he, he either envisions Jesus or sees Jesus right above her just smiling over the lady just smiling a goodness of god smiling over this dying lady and through that smith wigglesworth's faith is inspired he prays for the lady the lady is instantly healed rises up from her deathbed and who knows i guess lives several years after that i want you to be persuaded that god is good i want you to be persuaded you know what persuaded it? It means that I sell you on it. Not that I sell you, that God sells you on that God is good. And I want you to look at the different results of these two men, these three men actually, two men who prayed not knowing if God was good. And look, they didn't get any results. Look, they didn't get any results. But if you, like Smith Wigglesworth, believe that God is good, you're going to get different results in your life. You could get to the end of your life and not see much of any of God's blessing in your life if you think God doesn't have good intentions towards you. 
But you could get to the end of your life and see how God was good over and over and over again and how he did this thing for you and that thing for you because you knew and know that God is good. You're going to get different results depending on what your perception is of God. In fact, I want to tie together the concept of faith and God's goodness because they are one and the same. Listen to this. Your faith and your trust in God are directly in proportion to your concept of God's goodness. In other words, let me put it to you this way. If you think God is really, really good, your faith and trust in God are going to be really, really strong and really big. But if you have all these doubts about, oh, I don't know if God is good, your faith is going to be way down low. It's not going to be strong. It's not going to be big, and it's not going to be vibrant. If you want a vibrant faith, you need to know your God is good, and he has good intentions. Your your faith is going to go soaring through the stratosphere if you begin to know that your God is good, and he has good intentions for you. So let's look at this. Let's, Let's begin to delve into this i guarantee you if you'll listen today if you'll receive today you're going to walk out those doors flying on cloud nine this is a dessert type of message sometimes we get meat and potato potatoes sometimes you get vegetables and you walk out i don't like that but at least it made me stronger today you're going to taste and see that god is good you're going to taste and see that god is good look at this in hebrews 11 6 good scripture we've heard it before without faith it is impossible to please god because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists obviously and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him let's look at that let's think about that just for a second i want to paraphrase that scripture if you don't mind you know what paraphrase means it means to take the words and make them your own reinterpret it in words that you and I can understand. So let's look at this. Here's my paraphrase of that scripture. Replacing faith with a, with a concept of God's goodness, all right? It says, remember, without faith it's impossible to please God. Listen to this. If you don't believe God is good, you can't please God. Do you know what a slap in the face it is to look at God and say, I don't know if you're good. I doubt your goodness. You know what a slap in the face? You don't please God whenever you look at God that way. But if you look at God and you say, God, you're good. He's pleased with you because you believe he's good. Isn't that awesome? And I'll read on. It says, because, here's my paraphrase, because anyone who comes to Jesus must, two things, believe that God exists. That's an obvious one. But secondly, that Jesus shows his goodness to those who follow him. If you'll follow Jesus, he will show you his goodness and you'll be pleasing to him as a result. So I want to turn it around a little bit. Now, I'm a parent. I have four children. They're, they don't look like children anymore. They look like grown, grown people. All right. But you know what? A good parent will reward their children for positive progress. A good parent will say, good job, man. That was excellent. That was excellent. I hate to do this to Kyle. I, you know, I don't like it when my parents use me as examples, and I'm sure my kids don't like it whenever I use them as examples. But 
Kyle is a junior in college right now, and you know what he's doing? He is actively thinking about what he needs to do once he graduates, and he's actively pursuing an internship. He's going through running all the traps out of his own initiative. He's doing it. You know what I could do with Kyle? I could say, so what are you supposed to do? I'm not going to praise that. Give me a break. Everybody should get out of a job. Can Can you do me a favor? Don't boot your kids out when they're 18 years old. Don't do that. That's bad parenting. It's horrible parenting. All right? Take your children when they do something good and say, good job. Reward them. Say, good job. I'm proud of you. That's excellent. That's the way you need to be doing. A bad parent says, that's what I expected of them. to. If they did anything less, I'd be mad at them. That's a bad parent. A good parent rewards good behavior, even if it's expected. That proves that that's a good parent because they're a rewarder. Guess what? God's the same way. It proves that God is a good God because he's a rewarder. He uses positive reinforcement to get his children going in the right direction. So we, we need, his reward shows that he's a good God. Now, I work, I'm, you know, I'm in the workforce just like many of you are. Let me tell you what, a good boss will praise good behavior. When an employee does a good job, they'll say, good job, man. That was excellent. Keep doing that. That's excellent. Instead, I've seen many bosses do this, say, it's, I, that's what they get paid to do. That's what they should be doing. You know what? That's not a good boss that says that. All right? Praise God. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It goes on with, you know, have you ever heard of a dog whisperer? A dog whisperer or animal whisperer of some sort? That's, a, that's somebody who gets the animal to do amazing things. You know how they do it? They constantly reward that animal for the right thing, for doing the right thing, for doing the good thing. They're a dog whisperer. You know what? God is a human whisperer. <laughs> Al, there you go. All right. Praise God. All right. You, you, God rewards us. That proves that he's good to us. He's good to us. Praise God. Um, so look at this. Let's look at Hebrews 11, 26 and 27. He, this is in the same chapter, in fact. He rewarded, excuse me, he regarded, on rewards today, he regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ. He's talking about Moses here. The sake of Christ as greater value than all the treasures of Egypt. Let me tell you what, when you start seeking God's rewards, you're going to say the treasures of this world are, forget it. They're not worth anything. I want that. I want his treasures. I want his rewards. And it says that all the treasures of Egypt amounted to nothing because he was looking ahead towards his reward. Moses knew that God was saying, hanging the proverbial carrot out in front of him. But God isn't one that just hangs it out. He gives it to you. All right. He he was looking ahead towards his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, the Pharaoh's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. All right. Why? So check this out. Why do people think that God isn't good? And looking back in your life and say, at that time, why did I think that God wasn't good? Why did I have doubts about God's goodness? And let's read this script. The last part of the scripture, he says, he saw him who was invisible. 
Why do you think God isn't good? Because you and I are blind. We're blinded. In fact, the Bible speaks of it uh, as a veil. A veil covers your eyes. But let's read this scripture real quick in Ephesians 1.18. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or open. You have eyes in your soul and your spirit. And most of us have blinded spiritual eyes. It's like a veil covers over our eyes. And we can't see that God is good. And all we listen to is all these doubts. I was talking to somebody this week talking about rumors in our head. We have all these rumors in our head about who God is or who God isn't. And we listen to the rumors instead of taking the veil away and seeing who God really is. That he's a good God. In fact, here at, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.14, in following verses, it says, But their minds were made dull, for to this day that same veil, when the Old, old Covenant is read, um, it has not been removed, because only in Christ can that veil be taken away so that you can see the goodness of God. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. What does that mean, when Moses is read? Well, back then, the Jews had the Old Testament. The first five books of the Old Testament were, were called the Pentateuch, and they were, and we believe, were written by Moses. And so, the Israelites would read Moses. They would read the first five books of the Bible, and it was laws. Don't do this, and do that, and don't do the other, and don't do this. And it says, when they read it, a veil covered their mind because they saw God as just a bunch of rules. Do's and don'ts, and punishment, and judgment if you didn't do the right thing. They didn't see God for who he was. So they would read the Bible, and you can do this too. You can read both the New and Old Testament and see God as simply as a judge, a harsh God that doesn't love you, that doesn't care for you, that's just waiting for you to mess up, to bat you over the head when you mess up. Guess what? If you read the Bible that way, you have a veil over your eyes. You don't see the goodness of God. So how can we get that veil pulled away so we can see that God is good so our faith can soar up the way that it should? Well, it says it here in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 3. It says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Your eyes are open. Your ears are open. All of a sudden, you feel the warm compassion of God, the love of God that wants to cleanse your mind of all its struggles, that wants you to help you in your sickness and heal you in your sickness, that God wants to help you in your finances. He wants to restore relationships. He wants to give you peace like rivers uh, flooding your soul. God is good. How can I get that veil turned away? Just turn to Jesus. Start looking at Jesus instead of listening to the rumors in your mind. Instead of listening to the doubts of your heart. Listen to Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus. As Hebrews 12, 2, I believe, says, if we'll just fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, just fix your eyes on Jesus. What is it? Can you look at your problem or can you take your eyes off your problem and start looking to God? your life will change. Your results in your life will change as well. And that's the incredible thing. 
reading on in verse 17 says now the lord is spirit and where the spirit of the lord there is freedom there is freedom you start looking to jesus the spirit of the lord is going to come down on you you will experience the freedom of god permanent freedom by the way not a temporary freedom a permanent freedom have the veil just say okay jesus i can't see you just say something so i can turn i'm over here okay i'm gonna turn i'm gonna start looking to jesus away from my thoughts the spirit of freedom is gonna come on you and then it says and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the glory of god are transformed into his image with ever increasing glory and i'm gonna prove to you and show you how the glory of god is the goodness of god the goodness of god and so here it is in Exodus 33. Man, I've been in Exodus 33 this week. I've been telling my family about Exodus 33. This week, read Exodus 33. It's going to come out in one of our texts. But I'm just going to read two verses from Exodus 33. Here's Moses and God talking. Did you know you can talk to God? Do you know that you can hear from God? Turn to him and you start talking to him, hearing from him. Throw out the useless rumors. Throw out the doubts out of your mind and start talking to God. But here's Moses and God talk, talking. And Moses says to God, now show me your glory. Do you want to see God's glory? What is this God's glory? His honor, his majesty, the wealth of his presence, the, is the spirit of God. You say, I want to see your glory. God's going to show you his glory. But look at how God responds when God, when Moses said, show me your glory. Here's how the Lord responds. The Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. When you say, God, show me your glory, God's going to show you his goodness. He's going to take that veil away. You're going to start seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living that comes straight out of, I believe it's Psalms. I am convinced I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Are you convinced? Are you persuaded that God is good? Are you persuaded that you're going to experience God's goodness? So he asked to see God's glory. And I won't say instead he saw God's goodness. He saw God's glory and his goodness all in one whack. It was all the same thing. Praise God. You know what? After Moses saw God's goodness, Moses was never the same again. And the results that he got were disproportionately different. He was 80 years old. So if you say, oh, I'm too old. No, no, no. Moses was 80 years old when God showed his goodness to Moses. And Moses was never the same, never the same again. Look at some of the results that Moses got after seeing how good God was. He had food poured out of heaven, literally, rain down, manna, come down from heaven because he knew God was good. When there wasn't enough meat, the Holy Spirit blew in quail into the desert, so much quail that the Israelites couldn't contain it all. When they ran out of water, Moses said, my God is good, I'm going to strike this rock, and water poured out of the rock. You want different results in your life? You start looking to the goodness of God. When we say, in the name of Jesus, do such and such, you're saying, in the name of goodness, do this thing or do that thing. In the name of goodness, heal my sick relative. In the name of goodness, heal my body. 
I reject the spirit of infirmity that's been hanging over me. I don't want that anymore. I want the spirit of goodness to come over me. In the name of Jesus is to say in the name of goodness. Praise God. Hallelujah. He got different results. Unbelievable. You know what Moses got more than anything, though? He got instruction from God. I don't know about you, but I want instruction from God. I'm tired of trying to figure out things on my own, but God's goodness gives me his instruction. All right, so check this out. This part is so rich to me. It is changing my life, changing my life. All in Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. And let's read through it, and then we'll put it together. We'll piece it together uh, all about God's goodness. Let me read it to you. So one day, Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, you can follow along. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of um, Gennesaret, I believe, but this is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around Jesus and listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge two boats. They were left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. That's the apostle Peter, eventually. Disciple Peter, right? He got into his boat as he was still a fisherman and asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. And he sat down in Peter's boat. Can you imagine? These fishing boats weren't very big. They probably seat, I don't know, five or six different people. And here this icon this this guy who is really his fame was beginning to explode he walks up to peter he says can i get in your boat i want to i want to teach these people the crowds are too big and peter (laughs) i could just imagine he's (laughs) he just shakes his yeah come on in and jesus gets into his boat sat down and taught the people from the boat you know what one day goodness showed up in your life One day, Jesus showed up in your life. And you know what Jesus does sometimes? He just invites himself into your life. And Jesus is so compelling. He's so strong. His personality is so good, so strong, that you can't help but say, yeah, Jesus, come in. Come in and stay with me for the day. Goodness shows up in your life. He invites himself in. And I love this scripture in Psalms 34. I think I've already mentioned it once. But he lets you taste and see that God is good. He, he gives you a little nibble, a little morsel, and, and you say, wow, that was good. He, see, God knows that we're all addictive. We all have, we've been born with addictive personalities. Why not get addicted on the goodness of Jesus? Get addicted unto the goodness of Jesus and say, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I don't want to ever stop receiving 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 from the goodness of god so jesus steps into into peter's life the goodness is there and it's like it's like an intersection peter's going this direction and all of a sudden jesus they intersect paths and it seems like a complete random out of but you know what there's nothing random with god he intersects your life over and over and over again until you turn and go parallel with him. Amen. But let's keep on reading verse 4 of Luke 5. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out to deeper water and let's let down the, the nets for a catch. 
Let's, let's let down your nets for a catch. So the people disperse. People start walking away. And Peter and Jesus are sitting there just kind of looking at each other. And Jesus says, you know what? I have something for you. Let's put out for deeper water. Let's go out deep into the water. Let's go out into the goodness, in the ocean of God's goodness. Let's stop being here on the shore of God's goodness. Let's go deeper with God. Let's go out and see, you know what? If you're neck deep in God's goodness, let's just go out to where you may end up drowning in God's goodness. If you can drown in 10 feet of water, why not go out and let's go into 100 feet of water? Let's go out to the depths of God. The Bible talks about deep calls to deep. And I found this, that people that go deep with God have a deep heart. They, they're, they, they're in tune with God. They know the depths and the, the profoundness of God's wisdom and the profoundness of God's truth. Go deep with God. Stop, stop being timid on the shores of your life and go into the depths of God. Praise God. So Simon answers, Master. <laughs> he already recognizes something about Jesus. He calls him Master. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night long. See, back then, fishermen fished at night. That was the, that was the time when they could catch, catch more fish. If I understand it correctly, they'd have a lantern that would kind of attract, the light would attract the fish, and then they'd scoop them up with their nets. And so um, he said, Master, we worked hard all night. And haven't caught anything, but listen to what Peter says. He says, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. Because you say so. You know what, guys? It's time to start obeying God. If he says to stop thinking negative thoughts, stop thinking negative thoughts. If he's telling you to start believing God for your healing, you need to start believing God for your healing. If you have condemning thoughts and God's saying, I, there's no condemnation in Jesus. Stop condemning yourself. I'm not condemning yourself. Obey God and start doing what he's telling you to do, to adopting the attitudes that he's told you to adopt. If you're fearful of the future and don't have a secure financial future and you're ahead of you, God's saying, start looking to me. Stop looking to yourself. Start obeying God. Do what he tells you to do. So you may have worked all night long. <laughs> you may have put your heart out there, your emotions out there, not gotten anything. But if Jesus tells you to do it one more time, do it one more time. You know what I found about God? I'm learning this. This is fresh off the press for me. Usually what God tells you to do is very small. Very small. Throw your net out one more time. You know, pick up the phone and call and encourage a person one more time crack open your bible every morning one more time is that hard no god's god's instruction to us is really not that difficult you know if you're jobless get it he's telling you get up and go find a job <laughs> go do something pick it up. it's not that hard to do what god tells you to do we don't do it in our own strength we do it in his strength and if you haven't gotten results don't worry about it. If God's telling you to do something, go do it. Go do it. Praise God. Well, it makes me wonder, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but it makes me wonder, 
Peter was striving all night to get, you know, to get a catch of fish. God knew he needed them. Peter knew he needed for his livelihood. But what could have Peter been doing all night long instead of striving? Because the Bible says, stop striving and know that I am God. Stop your striving. What is striving? Stop worrying so much. I'm finding more and more as I look at myself and I talk to others, our number one problem is crazy worry. Always worrying, worrying. The Bible says stop striving or stop worrying and know that I am God. So when you stop striving, what are you doing? You're resting. And I know that fishermen fished at night back then, but let's just take this at face value here. What, what could have Peter done all night long? He could have slept. He could have rested in the Lord. He could have stopped trying to figure out how to do it himself and saying, God, I'm going to trust you and I am going to rest. I'm going to rest in you because you've got me covered. The other thing he could have done, you know, a lot of times when God's about to do something, he tells you in advance, hey, something's coming. Prepare yourself. Something is coming. Prepare yourself. In fact, the Bible says that God does nothing save telling his prophets in advance or foretelling to his prophets what he's going to do. And I guarantee you, if you'll start listening to God, he's going to start telling you what's coming next. And what do you do? Prepare, prepare, prepare. You know what Peter could have been doing? He could have been preparing his boat to strengthen it up so it could take all those fish. He could have been mending his nets and getting his nets really strong so he could catch all those fish. God is telling you something right now. You need to get ready and get yourself strong and prepare for what's coming down the pike to you. Amen? Prepare. Strengthen your nets, your boats. And you know what else Peter could have? He could have gone out and borrowed more boats. Gee, God's telling me, hey, there's an abundance of fish that I'm going to catch. You know what? I'm going to go talk to my buddies. And one night, we're going to go ahead and borrow all these boats. So in the morning when Jesus shows up, we can, we can bring in all the abundance that God has given us. Praise the Lord. But let's read on here in, in Luke 5. Now in verse 6, listen to this statement. When they had done so. In other words, when they had put out their nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. What if they hadn't put their nets down? They wouldn't have seen the goodness of God. They wouldn't have received the, the blessings and the abundance of God. When they had done so, when they had done the little thing that Jesus told them to do, look what happened in their lives. What is God telling you to do? And go do it and then look back and said, when I did that, these results begin to happen in my life. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled their boat so full that they began to sink. God says, you know, I'm going to pour out so much blessing. And here's how he puts it. It's funny. He's, he says, I'm going to pour blessing into your laps. <laughs> All right. If you think about sitting and look down at your lap, how much can you contain on your lap? Well, not much. All right. You better kind of put your arms out and, and create kind of a bowl, if you would, to contain. He says, I'm going to my blessings can be pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Will I pour out my blessing onto you when they did so? What is God telling you to do? Be obedient to what God is telling you. And in Deuteronomy 28, a scripture that I encourage you to read this this week, you'll get a text for it. 
Deuteronomy 28, it says what happens when you start obeying God. And so much of the time, God's obedience is not so much about a literal action. It's about a change in attitude and shoving out those negative thoughts, those victimized thoughts. I'll never amount to anything. I never have done this. I can't do that. God's saying, shut up and listen to my thoughts because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Praise God. Does God tell you to shut up? Sometimes he sure does. He sure does. And when God tells you to do something, he's empowering you to do it in that instant. He's giving you the power. He doesn't just tell you to do it. He says, I'm going to empower you to do what I'm telling you to do. I'm going to give you the power to do it. Praise God. So uh, here we see in verse 8, Simon Peter saw this. He sees all the fish flopping around, sinking his boat. He falls at Jesus' knees. Jesus must have, I can picture, Jesus must have been sitting in the boat. So he didn't fall to his feet. He falls at his knees as I would, you know, I come to your chair and I fall at your knees because you're sitting there. He falls at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish. They did it during the day when you're not supposed to be able to catch so much fish. After they'd done it all night long when they didn't catch anything, what happened? The only thing that happened is goodness had showed up in that boat. That's what happened. The goodness of God showed up in the boat, and Peter recognized the only thing that's changed around here is Jesus is in my boat. <laughs> that's the only thing that's changed. And he falls down at Jesus' feet and says, I'm a sinful man. And here's what happens. When, when God's goodness shows up, you see the contrast of yourself, your yucky, selfish self, in contrast with his glorious self. And it makes his goodness all the more better. I said more better. Um, all the better. <laughs> all the better. But yeah, with Jesus, it's too more better. <laughs> right? All the better. That contrast of God's goodness and I, I've been lately, I've been thinking about my old life and it just disgusts me. I think of my failures now and it disgusts me. I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to think those thoughts anymore. I don't want to have those reactions anymore. I don't want to have those pursuits anymore. I just want to pursue Jesus. And I look at myself in, in, in a good way, not in a condemning way. I good, look at myself and I say, I don't like me. I like Jesus in me. I like Jesus in me. He's, he's the light of, of my life. He's the salt of my life. He's the, he's the thing that makes life appealing and good. Without him, I'm nothing. I have beyond him, in fact, in Psalm 16, it says this, aside from God, I have no good thing. I have no good thing. Praise God. So he falls, he acknowledges his, his flaws, and then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. I'll tell you this over and stop worrying. Stop worrying so much. Stop it. Jesus is telling you, stop worrying. Whatever it is, whether, whether it's something for sure that's going to happen or something that might happen. Did you know, even aside from God, that 90 some odd percent of the things you worry about will never happen? Just with that, without God. Now, if God's on your side, you have nothing to worry about. 
Nothing to worry about. Jesus says, stop being afraid. For now, you will be fisher for people or fishermen of fishers of men. So they pulled up their boats on the shore and left everything and followed him. All right, so let's just summarize. We're almost done here. In fact, really close to being finished. But look at this. Look at how how good Jesus is and how there's five steps towards towards seeing more and more and more and more goodness of God. All right? There's people out there, and, and you and I were, were some of these people, where we thought God was not good. I'll never forget walking with a buddy of mine. I was probably 15 years old, and he was, he was a missionary's kid. I was a missionary's kid. We were walking down the street, and he says, You know what? God hasn't done anything good for me. God hasn't done anything good for me. He said, I'm not going to serve God. I mean, it's a full-blown just, you know, <laughs> all the way. He's, he was turning his back on God and admitting it. And why? Because he said, God has not done anything good for me. If we don't get our veils pulled away, we could fall into that same trap of thinking that God isn't good. But listen, there's five, I don't want to call them levels, but five things that I see in this story. I've seen more and more and more of God's goodness, and here they are. In fact, I'll call them five steps to experiencing God's goodness because that's what you need. You don't just need to know God's goodness. You need to experience God's goodness because that's what makes the difference. But here, first of all, you need to let Jesus into your boat. <laughs> Stop rowing your own boat, and your boat represents your life. We'll talk about more about this next week. Your boat represents your life. Let Jesus into your boat and stop trying to manage your own boat for yourself. All right? And the, the goodness that Peter got as a result of this, he got to hear firsthand what Jesus was saying. Many people say, I can't hear God. I can't hear him talking to me. And they freak out. I've been in that, in that boat before. <laughs> I can't hear God. All right? Let Jesus in your boat and you'll start hearing God. You'll start hearing from God. And that's his goodness. That's kind of a first level of goodness of God is just simply hearing him. Let your paths intersect. You and God's paths intersect and stop there and say, God, talk to me. I need to hear from you. Let me hear your voice. Crack open your Bible most every day and listen to God's voice. Let him into your boat you're going to start getting different results if you do. You're going to start getting different results. If you never let God into your life, you will never know he is good. Did you hear that? If you don't let God into your life, you will never know that God is good. So that's the first thing. The second thing is go deeper with God. Okay? Now you've, ex you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You're on the, sh on the shores of God's goodness. You've been used to um, firm land. You've gotten your boat out there a little bit on the water. Jesus is with you, and Jesus looks you in the eye, and he says, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Every morning, I want you to go into the depths of my love, into the depths of my goodness, into the depths of my grace, my mercy. Let's go hand in hand together as Adam did in the cool of the day. Let's go for a walk. Let's kneel down here. Let's talk. Let's go deeper with God. You can't go deeper with God if you're just spending five minutes a day with him. Did you hear that? It takes time with God to go deep with God. That means maybe you need to rearrange your day a little bit and give God your best time of the day. 
best time of the day. Go, go deeper with God. And that seashore that you're seeing, or that lake shore that you're seeing, that you're trying, those are your feelings. When you go with deep, deep with God, you're going away from your flesh, away from your feelings, away from your attitudes, and you're going out with Him away from all your old self into a new self with Jesus. Go away from your feelings. Man, your feelings will deceive you. They'll mess you up. If you live by your feelings, you'll never get close to God. you got to walk away from your feelings. Walk away from your doubts, your thoughts, all those things that pester you, and go into the spiritual goodness of God. When you go deep with God, you're going to experience a spiritual goodness, the richness, the soul richness. It's hard to describe if you've never experienced this, but you feel the richness of God in you. And I want more of that, and I hope you want more of that. Praise God, if you never leave the shore of your feelings, you will never experience all the goodness, the spiritual goodness of God. Walk away from your feelings and go deep with God. Number three, obey the Holy Spirit when he tells you to do something. Obey him. Praise God. You know what? Obedience is one of the most wonderful things in the world. It frees you from yourself because now you're serving a different master than your selfish self. The blessings of God are going to begin to flow in your life and you will experience the tangible goodness of God. You know what tangible? Something you can feel. All right. You look at Deuteronomy 28 and you see the blessings that accompany obedience. You're going to see they're tangible. They're tangible. It's something that you can put in your pocket. It's something that you can live with. It's something you can wear. It's a, a roof over your head. The blessings of God will accompany you when you obey him. Listen to this. If you refuse to obey God, you will never receive the fullness of his blessings. Obey him. You can't go wrong obeying God. It's the best thing in the world. Number four, see Jesus for who he really is. Jesus is good. Jesus is sovereign. He's not a genie that you can just rub and get every single thing that you want in life. I heard this yesterday. It blew me away. Oftentimes, we want magic instead of miracles. Magic instead of miracles. I don't want to rub a little thing and get every single little thing that I want immediately. You know what? I need to put my faith into it, and then the miracles will come. Magic happens with no effort. When you start trusting God, you start believing God, he's going to give you your miracle. He's going to give you your miracle. And so see Jesus for who he is. He's not a genie. He's completely righteous. He's completely holy. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But he wants to be your best friend at the same time. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Me, a little speck of dust, a roach on the ground. God wants to be my friend. He wants to be your friend. He loves you, but he's the king of kings. His glorious goodness, when you, when you, his glorious goodness is here, and your selfish selfish, your selfish self is here, they come into contrast. You see Jesus for who he is. The blinders come off. But you know what? If you and I, we never bow our selfish self to the goodness of Jesus, we will never realize his glorious goodness. I've come to realize lately, I already mentioned this, I hate my yucky old self. I don't want to be that way anymore. And it's showing me how gloriously good Jesus is. Number five, 
Leave everything behind you, including your selfish self, and follow Jesus the rest of your life. Now, when, when Peter left, he left three things behind him. He left his boat, he left his nets, and he left his family. The sons of Zebedee were in business with their dad, all right? They left their dad behind. Now, if you're young, you're like, I don't want to leave my family. It's not, that's not the point I'm trying to make. All right. First of all, let's cover this. He left his boat. His boat represented his old life. He had lived in that boat. He had slept in that boat. He had made money in that boat. His boat had been through storms. He and that boat were tight. But he left that boat behind to follow Jesus. And you and me, we need to leave our old selves behind and go towards a new self. The next thing that he left behind was his identity, his family. I'm a Norman. I'm proud to be my dad, my mom and dad's son, and we share in common some things, and that's me. And God says, you know what? I want you to leave your personality behind. I want, to leave, I want you to leave your identity behind because I have a better identity for you. I have a better identity for you. And so he left his identity, but the third thing that he left was his net. And his net was what his confidence and trust was in. Peter was a fisherman. Yeah, he's a big old grizzly. I picture him as a big old grizzly guy, probably real hairy, beard, you know, stinky, probably smell like fish and onions. But that's who he was, all right? He had, he had this net, and that net he'd mended every day. That's what he trusted in. That's what he was confident in. And you know what? We need to walk away from our position, our title, our accomplishments. I'm leaving that on the shore, and I'm following Jesus. Amen. Because what happens, that net, that identity, all of those three things I just mentioned, they cause you to live horizontally. You're always comparing yourself to my net's better than your net. My boat's better than your, your boat. My family's better than your family. We live horizontally. We say you're always comparing yourself to people around you. But when you leave that behind, you start to live vertically. Oh, praise God, I don't have to compare myself to a single soul in this world. I'm going to live vertically and just like Jacob. He lived horizontally until he came across a ladder of angels going up and down to heaven. And he started living vertically and his life was never the same again. I want to leave my net behind, leave my identity behind, leave my life behind. And I want to live for Jesus and I'm going to start living vertically, powerfully, and I'm going to get different results than I've gotten before because of this, these truths. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to put our confidence in you, Jesus. We want to put our confidence and our trust in you. Lord, we leave the net behind. What I've put my trust in before, I'm not going to, start, I'm not going to do that anymore. You're calling me into a greater goodness. A greater goodness, Lord. If Peter hadn't left those three things behind and walked after Jesus, he would have never experienced the fullness of Jesus's goodness. Never. He wouldn't have seen blind eyes open. He wouldn't have seen lepers cleansed. He wouldn't have seen crippled folks jumping up and down. He wouldn't have seen thousands of people saved. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have received the forgiveness of, of Jesus after he abandoned him. Lord, he wouldn't have seen... The Lord there at the, at the gate beautiful when he and somebody was begging him for money he said silver and gold I do not have but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus stand up and walk he would have never had that experience Jesus 
because he didn't follow you. He didn't leave those things behind, but he did. And he experienced all the goodness of God in his life. Lord, begin to deal with us, Lord God. To, to, Lord, we want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living and not just a little bit. I want all of the goodness of God. I want the glorious goodness of God in my life and everybody who's listening right now. Every one of us, Lord, the fullness of the goodness of God in our life. Lord Jesus, when we say your name, we're speaking goodness. Lord, when we declare something in your name, we're declaring it in the name of goodness. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, and you just didn't give lip service to your goodness. You showed.